I want to make sure I'm able to deliver on what I promised. And I want to do this one perfectly first before I move on to the next one. It's a better way of saying no, but I think saying no is important. Like it is, there's nothing worse. And I have made this mistake more times in my career than I care to admit, where you do not want to be known as the person who takes on everything and finishes nothing. Welcome to Rep Your Brand, a podcast for B2B marketers who are looking to build their career through a strong personal brand. Rep Your Brand is hosted by Nick Bennett, one of LinkedIn's top voices on field marketing and personal branding. In each episode, Nick captures stories on how to overcome the challenges marketers face with growing their brand. So if you're a marketer looking to open doors and create opportunities that you never thought were possible, then listen in to get tangible tips and strategies to build your very own personal brand. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rep Your Brand, a podcast for B2B marketers who are looking to build their careers through a strong personal brand. I'm Nick Bennett. This podcast is brought to you by my friends at Motion. They're a done-for-you podcasting service for scrappy marketing teams and B2B tech. The two of the nicest guys around, and the work that they do is truly world-class. You can find them at motionagency.io. And today, I'm super pumped because this is our guest today is someone that I've looked up to for a while. Leah Maroney is the SVP of Revenue Marketing at Notarize with 10 plus years of experience as a demand gen SaaS marketer. He's an experienced marketing leader specializing in managing high growth B2B marketing teams across many disciplines. Liam, thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited to be here. Can't wait to jump in. Awesome. So let's let's get into this. So, you know, you are one of the best demand gen SaaS marketers out there. Am I biased? Who knows? We've never worked together, but everything that I see about you, which we'll get into of building in public, you know your stuff. And so, you know, you've been doing this, you know, more than a decade of experience crushing and crushing the personal brand game. But what are your thoughts? You know, do you think you have a personal brand and what does creating a personal brand mean to you? I've really struggled with this one, to be totally honest. I think the short answer is yes, I think I have a personal brand. It has taken me a long time to accept that fact. And I think the reason is because, firstly, I think when you, I mean, as a marketer, when you think of a brand, it's it's like a, it's a separate thing. It's not you. Like what I really think it is, is that I think I finally figured out how to show who I am publicly, which is my personal brand. Do I have a personal brand? I guess. But do I, my goal is, does it reflect me accurately? Is it, if you read everything about me and then you meet me in person, do you go, that's the same person? Then that's, that's what I'm shooting for. Yeah. That's it. It's so important that you do that too, because I feel like if you're faking office authenticity, people can kind of see right through that. And I feel like that you're, and we'll get into this, but I feel like you're super authentic. Like what are your thoughts on, being authentic in the content that you post. I think you're right. I think you'll get found out. Like there's nothing worse than someone who talks a great game and then suddenly you see them in action and you're like, you stumble over every single word. You like clearly went back on everything. Like if you're not authentic, then why are you doing it in the first place? Because at the end of the day, the whole point of everything that I'm putting out there is I want the people who work with me and the people who hopefully will work with me in the future to know exactly who I am before they even meet me. And that's like, I want to make sure that my positions are strong. If there's things I feel really strongly about, I put them out there. Like I am not a lead gen marketer. I don't ever want to be one. And I don't ever even want to interview for a job where they think I am one. So I want to put that out front and center. 
but I also love managing people. I want that to come through. I am a vulnerable person. I am a sensitive person. I want to be that person. Like I'm not, yeah, I want to be the person like out in front so that when they finally see me, it's like box check. You know exactly who you're getting from day one. Yeah, I think it's, I, I agree. I think it's super important. And I feel like, you know, your, your frequency of posting on LinkedIn has increased quite a bit. I feel like you've always posted, but, you know, really the last few months, it, it's definitely increased even more, which I love. What's kind of led you to this approach? I'll give you the short history of it. I started posting, I guess, about two years ago. And I, I was, I just gotten a VP marketing gig. I was sort of, it was my first official VP marketing role. I was kind of like riding high going like, okay, I now like got to own the title or something to that effect. And I was looking on LinkedIn and I saw a lot of people getting traction for posts where I was like, I mean, I've been saying that for like two years. Why, why is this revolutionary? And so I started to try and get, get out of my own head and say, I'm going to start saying that I'm going to talk about what I'm passionate about. I'm going to see what happens. And you know, the first few weeks, imposter syndrome was horrible. The only people who were liking the posts were people who were on my team and they just wanted to like show their boss some, some kudos. And and then of course, like I was getting like crap on the side from friends going like, oh, look who's posting on LinkedIn now. And oh, are you an influencer now? And all that sort of stuff. And then like somewhere along the lines, I started getting positive messages from people I'd never met before saying, I loved what you said about this. You know, I, I totally agree. That's completely changed how I think about it. And suddenly I realized, okay, this actually has genuine impact. And so I, I kept it up. And then what ended up happening was I kept on putting myself second to the job. Suddenly work got busy and I was like, I'll get back to it once this project is over, once we launch this. And then I saw it in the analytics, big drops, spikes, big drops, spikes, and then somewhere, it was, I was actually after reading a lot of your posts and seeing sort of like how you had gotten there. It's like, yeah, I just, I have to commit to it. And more importantly, I have to invest in myself because that is ultimately what it is. And it got me in a little bit of trouble at times because there were times when it was really busy at work and people would say, yeah, but you're still, still spending time on LinkedIn, I can see. And you're like, that's not the point. This is me putting me first. I have to do that. Otherwise, I am giving up on my own progress for someone else. It's it's so important, you know. It's 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 funny because our my my boss, who's the VP of marketing, he's very much of that same mindset. But he would never post. He's like, oh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I you know, I'm putting work first. And I was like, I got him to do it those, these last couple of weeks. And he he actually posted something today. And I was like, you know, look, you've driven five inbounds yourself from posting content for three weeks. I said, just think about that. If we times that by one, the entire leadership team, but then, you know, kind of like push that down to everyone else, it creates a social advocacy program without really doing it. And so I think it's, I think it's so important for sure. Yeah. And it's, it's not easy because you kind of, yeah, like you got to sort of, you got to know that what you're putting out there, people are reading and people who work with you are reading that too. And I've actually found, you know, it's funny, I don't hear this said, get said a lot. It's one of the big benefits of posting on LinkedIn is from what people who you work with see you say as well. Like I saw this, I'll give you two examples. When I left my last job, I remember when I like sent out the message and like thanked everyone for working with them. I ended up getting a bunch of slacks from people who I'd actually never really worked with at all. And they were like, I feel like I know you because of all the stuff you post on LinkedIn. I was like, oh my God, like we actually had a relationship that I didn't even know had developed. 
And then as well as that, I think it helped my credibility coming into a new job because all the people I was working with were seeing what I was saying. And they were like, that guy has strong opinions. He's confident in those opinions. Therefore, I'm confident in those opinions. Yeah, I wish I wish more people had that mindset that, that you have, because I think it's so important. But I want to talk about like, you know, I saw quite a bit of personal videos with you speaking directly at the camera. And I feel like you do this really, really well. But now I see you use more text based posts on LinkedIn. You know, what's your experience been with video? And then the second piece of that is how do you feel about text content versus video content? You're right. I've definitely leaned more into the tech stuff. There's no question about that. And I think because it's easier and I've gotten into a good rhythm where I can write it really quick. And a lot of the videos, like it, it's not natural to stare at a camera and talk to yourself and, and feel like you're being personal, which is why these are more fun because we're having an actual conversation. Like it's much more organic. And I think, you know, I want to do more of the videos, but I think it's, Firstly, I think they're they're really important. It's probably the thing I feel like I am the weakest at right now. It's the bit that if I'm thinking of my personal branding strategy, it's the bit that's missing, which is that text posts are great because, you know, like everyone can consume them. No one needs to know them. They're independently valuable. But I remember Chris Walker said this one time that like, firstly, there's the risk that people can just take them, copy paste them and then use them themselves. Now, I haven't seen any examples of that. I haven't looked for it, to be honest. But I think the other side of it is that if your goal is to try and get exposure, you have to put your face on it because you're trying to build who you are. And if they don't hear your voice, if they don't feel a connection with you, then all you're doing is you're just sort of, I mean, you're a journalist trying to write content that people will just read. But like the, my goal is I want to build relationships with people. I want to have a reputation where when people meet me, like they feel like they've talked to me before. And I think you can't do that unless you have audio and video. Yeah, I, I I agree for sure. And I think it's something it's, it's also what I struggle with. Like I don't put outside of like the podcast, I don't really put a ton of videos out there myself. And I've, I've told myself 2022, like, I'm gonna do it more. And I still I don't know, I still like struggle, like I record myself doing something. I'm like, I look weird or like, you know, are people going to actually care what I have to say? And then I'm just like, all right, I'm going back to text post because that's, that's what I know. But I agree. It's so. And I think it's funny because I think like where you shine and where I think I shine is that like, I'm good at conversation. And when I talk on video, I'm like, I'm not a, I'm not a news anchor. Like that's not who I am. Like I want to be more informal and it's hard to be informal talking to yourself into a camera. So you keep watching you like, that's not who I am. And again, it comes back to this. Is it an authentic representation of who I am and what you get if we have some form of a connection? Yep. Totally agree with you. So I want to kind of move into something that, you know, I, I found this on your LinkedIn that was published in 2020. And so you wrote an article titled what 10 years of sobriety has taught me about decision-making. So I have, I have a couple questions around this because I, I love vulnerability. I think that people aren't vulnerable enough, on, especially on LinkedIn, people paint like this, like everything is great world, but that's not always the case. So, you know, what was the spark that caused you to write that article? I mean, I was, I was counting down the years until I hit 10. Like I knew when I hit 10, I needed to do something with that. And I, I posted kind of really short things before. And I think like the real reason is like when I was coming up, when I was still junior in, in my job and I was like a manager, you looked at SVPs, you looked at executives and you kind of thought that they were bulletproof. You know, like they have this air of like, I've got all my stuff together and like nothing rattles me. 
And you, I remember thinking like, that's like, will I ever actually able to be that person? Like I'm too sensitive. I'm too this, that, and the other. And then I realized once I started getting more senior, it was really important to me that I never tried to pretend I was tougher than I was or more perfect than I was. And this was one of those ones where like, this is who I am. This is an important part of my personal narrative. And years ago, I actually had a, an occasion where I mentioned it to someone. I think I was working at Hook Logic at the time. And I remember I was, I can't remember how, I think it was maybe like five years at that time. I'd hit my five year sobriety. And the CRO at the company at the time, he, he called me into a room one day and he said like, and it was completely out of nowhere. He just said like, can I talk to you for a minute? And he brought me into the conference room and he goes, do you not drink? And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, no, I don't actually. And he goes, neither do I. I'm like seven years sober. And it was like this thing. And I was like, oh my God, like we don't talk about this at all. But he like sought me out because he like, it was important to him. And then I realized like, wow, like there's, there's a conversation people are not having. And I said, if I ever get to a point where I'm senior enough that people look up to me that I have some authority, I want to make sure that they know that I'm still every bit as vulnerable as I was any other time. And so I wrote the post and I thought like, this is it. This is like, this is it. This accurate representation of who I am. This was a tough part of who I was. And I felt like it was something that other people may find value in and say like, I needed to hear that. And that was the whole point. That was the reason I posted it. Yeah, no, I, I love it. And, you know, I think what, like, what are your thoughts on when should people discuss personal hardships and issues on the internet? Because like, I feel like some people are on the fence about this because they don't want to be seen as weak or like that they don't have their stuff together. But I think it's, I think it's the complete opposite. So I'm all for it. So I'm curious on like your thoughts on that. I agree. Now I will say I struggle because so much stuff that goes viral on LinkedIn is this like oversharing, like I have a sick kid, like, and it's like, okay, like that's great, but it's sort of veering into like, I want to use this to get attention more so than there's a lesson in here that you can take from. Now, if there is a lesson, which is that we're all going through hardships and you never know what's happening behind the doors of someone's house. Yeah, I totally agree with that message. For me, I think it is that I wrote stuff like that and the stuff that I write that's personal, it's because I want to make sure that someone who may need to hear, oh yeah, you're not the only one who's going through this or like there's something that you, you know, you, maybe you thought everyone else has it together. No one feels anxiety at work. No, we all do. It doesn't matter how senior the CEO feels it, the intern feels it and everyone in between. Yeah, that's, I think it's, I, I definitely think, do you, do you feel like, you know, talking about those things has, has had an impact on you in kind of a positive way? Oh, absolutely. I like I, I do remember when I posted that 10-year one, I was nervous as hell posting that one <laughs> because I was like, this is going to be a scarlet letter. You can't take this back. You're forever now that guy who quit drinking. And you're like, okay, like I don't want to be that. But I realized like, no, I have to commit to it. It's who I authentically am. And so I went with it. And what ended up happening with that post was within about a week of that post, I had two people that I knew. One was a friend of mine from school and the other was someone I'd worked with at a previous company who both said, like, I've kind of needed to hear this. Like, would you mind having a conversation and tell me how to get started on this? And one of those is now, I think, like, I guess two years sober now since that. And that to me is like the highest ROI you could possibly have, which means people genuinely did need to hear something like that. And you never know what message you have that other people have just been waiting for someone 
with credibility or seniority or a couple of letters next to their title and they're like okay if they feel it then maybe it's totally okay but i think it's also you know i think it's made i mean my team trusts me more at least i think because they've seen that i'm willing to be very open about stuff i try and make sure the things that i post about publicly i will say in a team meeting as well because otherwise it's just i'm doing it for attention versus this is part of my personality and my style of leadership yeah yeah, no, that's admirable for sure. And so, you know, I want to kind of like go into a couple lessons learned. So you've been fairly active on LinkedIn regarding mental health and anxiety related topics, which again, I think is a huge thing that people need to talk about. How do you tackle tra- uh, stressful scenarios in a competitive and changing world like yours, especially as a VP? Because like people always ask me, what do I want to do? Do you want to be a CMO? I'm like, absolutely not. They're like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I feel like the higher you go, it just gets so stressful. And like, I'm not a stressful person, but like, if I'm put in a scenario like that, I just, I don't know how I would even kind of combat that. So I'm curious on like how you do it. It, it can be stressful. And I've spent a lot of time in startups, which are about as chaotic as they come. And I think I mean, I think there are things, you know, I see all these things on LinkedIn where they drive me insane, where people will say like, you know, you just got to make time for like a workout in the morning. And I like run five miles before I come to work. And I I am that person, but I would never say that out loud because, I mean, I have an 11 month old kid right now and my life has totally changed. Finding time of the day is damn near impossible. And I think since the start of COVID, people have underestimated how hard life around us actually is. So it's it's not enough to say, oh, you just got to carve out the time of the day to go for a swim or a walk or a run. I, I think we have there's something far bigger than that. Like, especially during COVID, this whole remote work thing, I love it. I'm never going back to an office. I cannot say that clearly enough. But the lines between work and home are very blurred. And it's very easy to sort of forget that. Now, you've been working remote for a long time. We've all been part of a two-year experiment. And I remember at the start of that experiment, like I didn't even realize that there were people who, there were people on my team at the time who I found out were taking all their meetings with their laptop on top of an ironing board in their bedroom. And you're like, this has totally changed the dynamic of your world. Like you need to figure out how you create clear lines. And I think it's, it's taught me that, I don't like the way that the modern work week is. I don't agree with it. I think we all this hustle culture is awful. I think we have too many meetings. I think we try and fill up our calendar with meetings. And everything I'm trying to do and everything I talk about is trying to see if I can be one voice against that whole wave of things. I think there are too many meetings in the week. I have a lot of meetings. Half of my job is meetings. More than half of my job is meetings. But I don't want it to be that way. Like what I think we have to do is as leaders, particularly people who have teams, is we have to try and defend every bit of that time for our teams as we possibly can. It's not, and again, go back to your question, like the way to solve stress is not to find some hobby or some way of dealing with the stress. It's the people who create that stressful environment in the first place need to change that. We need to build really strong gaps in the middle of people's work week so they can actually take breaks. Like I tell my team this all the time. Like if you skip lunch, you need to tell me because that's not acceptable. Like it's not admirable. If you work every weekend, I've failed you in some way. And I think it starts there. Like it, it, we have to rethink how the week goes, especially now that you can work from anywhere and anytime and there's no sort of like commuting. There's like, we basically, we have to rethink 
the entire way we work. That's the only way we deal with the stress that comes with it. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you because I I think it's it's important. And I, I've only worked for startups as well. And so it's, you know, you get in these high growth companies and, you know, goals go up, especially when you're raising rounds. And it's like, all right, great, you know, just raise our series B. But then you forget everything that comes with that from like the board from a pressure standpoint. And people are just like you said, I mean, I've been remote for nine years now. And so I will never go back to an office. I've actually turned down like pre-COVID, I've turned down jobs that were based in Boston that said, you need to come to the office three days a week. I said, absolutely not. I've been remote for way too long and I'm not going to go sit in traffic fighting my way to Boston every single day. And like I specifically went and worked for companies on the West Coast for that but it made it like, all right, great. I'm three hours ahead, but that means that my meetings are later in the day. And so I had to set boundaries and I have a three-year-old now, but like when I was doing this, she was, she was probably like one, two. And so like work-life integration has been really, really important. Like I, I cannot sit at a computer for, you know, eight, nine hours a day. Like I get up, I do things, I might throw laundry in, I go for walks. Like I need to like have that break from screen time and just kind of like decompress. And are you similar or? No, I'm really bad at this. I'm the opposite of that. I I will forget what I'm doing and I will realize that it is now six o'clock and I did not eat lunch and I did not leave my desk once. And I, I was talking to a friend of mine and he's in the situation now where his company has sent them back to the office three days a week. And he has a kid who's also 11 months. And he was saying to me like, oh, like it sucks. Like I'm getting back and I'm just about making his bedtime. And I was like, so am I. And I went home. I have no excuse. And I, it, it's, I think... I remember years ago before work, like when, when it was unusual to be a remote worker, I remember like there were people who said like, it's for some people and it's not for others. Some people are very disciplined. Some people are very good at structuring their day and other people are not. I am not. And I need to be really thoughtful about it. And that means if I'm thoughtful about it, I have to make sure that the way that my team responds is also thoughtful. Like it is a separate way of working. And I think we need to be, we need to be trained. None of us have been trained on this. We all just got launched into it. We were used to like being able to be distracted. You went up to the kitchen inside and grabbed some snacks in the office. That's not really a thing anymore. So how do you how do you create that? How like and and how does management build that into the training, into the calendars? Like I know this is a totally off topic thing. I think one of the worst things that we are allowed to do is control our own calendars. We're terrible at it, <laughs> awful at it, because you see gaps and you go, I got to fill that with a thing. And I had the luxury of my boss's EA has been taking over my calendar because I've been so busy. And the first time I sat down with her, I actually wrote a LinkedIn post for this. She just went like, your calendar is a disaster. And she went like, you need to build time into work. You need to build time into decompress from important meetings. And she handed me back this version of my calendar where I was looking at all these spaces that were blocked off for like working time lunch and i was like that's so obvious why is that not a thing i ever thought to do and it's because we felt guilty that you know you think anything you put on the calendar that is blocking time from work is you not working which is not true yeah totally agree with you there so you know on the on the kind of subject of personal struggles you know what advice would you give to someone who feels that they should sit, share some of their personal struggles on linkedin but they wonder about what people will say or think especially people that are like more junior in their their career i think it is a fair argument 
And I think it's easy for someone with a VP or an SVP title to say it, whereas you don't want to be perceived as someone who's not able to deal with the stress, especially if you're in an environment where like, it's all about like, oh, you know, startups are chaotic. And if you're suddenly going like, there are days when my anxiety is overwhelming, you're worried that someone's going to go, maybe you're not cut out for this industry. And it's absolutely fair. And I think, you know, I think it is perfectly reasonable for people who are more junior to not share stuff until people like me and people more senior than me have normalized that behavior. And that's where like, it is a much bigger conversation where, you know, you can't expect people who are more vulnerable to be the ones to show that they're vulnerable. Like I can say things without, like I've established myself. I have a career. I am, I am, I have proven that I'm able to do the job. Therefore I can now say it was harder than I let on. Yeah, that's well, well said for sure. And I think that's an important one. You know, I feel like I'm in a place where I've been trying to juggle how to say no. And it's something I struggle with. Like, I always want to help people. And so I'm curious how you juggle between like being a mentor at Techstars, your current position of leading revenue marketing and kind of marketing and notarizing pavilion, how, and, you know, posting on LinkedIn. Like, how do you how do you juggle all of that? I mean, it comes in bursts, I will say that. It is not always on for all of them all the time. And I do, like, if I go back through every everything that every manager has ever told me, it is always the same bit of feedback has been there every single time. You say yes too much. It's like it is 100% the feedback I've always gotten. And it is personally, like, the thing I struggle with most. Like, I, I, I don't know how to do things partially. Like I, I go all in, I'm a very obsessive personality type person. And so I, I'm the same. I want to say yes to everything because otherwise you feel like you've let people down if you say no. And, you know, it's a lesson I, I have to learn every single time. Like I do not learn this lesson well, but if you continuously say yes to everything and everyone, you will let them down. You're actually doing them a disservice by taking on more than you actually can handle. And so like the saying no is not easy, but saying, I want to make sure I'm able to deliver on what I promised. And I want to do this one perfectly first before I move on to the next one. It's a better way of saying no, but I think saying no is important. Like it is, there's nothing worse. And I have made this mistake more times in my career than I care to admit, where you do not want to be known as the person who takes on everything and finishes nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so true. And that's something that I've definitely been trying to learn too. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, as you're in my mind, and I'm sure lots of others, one of the top SaaS marketers that are out there, who are other marketers that you look up to for ideas? Because I always wonder this, because like, I have people that, that I look up to, but when you reach a certain level, like, does that change? Like, who are like two or three people that you look up to? I don't think it changes. I think the important thing is that you have to make sure you don't start to believe you have all the answers. And so, the, you know, the, I listen to the things that Chris Walker says. I agree completely. I, I listen to Dave Gerhardt. I love the things he says about copywriting. Like, I love the things that Kathleen Booth says. At the same time, what I also make sure I try and do is listen to people that I don't necessarily agree with to make sure that I'm challenging, do I actually have the wrong mindset? Like, I came up through very traditional demand gen. Everything that Chris Walker has talked about, I did at the very start in my career until I realized it didn't work and changed it. But I was listening to people who were saying like, well, no, it, this is the only way you can do it. And so you have to find people who have voices that you don't have. And I think, you know, I've said this and I wrote about this on LinkedIn that, Marketing changes all the time. It is my job to make sure that I am seeing what is changing. 
and that requires finding people who are disagreeing with me. It it makes it so like there's no sort of this idea that once you hit a certain level of seniority, you have all the answers. Nonsense. The things that I used to talk about two years ago are not relevant anymore. The playbooks I used to like show the entire company, I am embarrassed to see from five years ago because that world does not exist anymore. So I have to always be learning because otherwise you do not stay at the top of your game. There's nothing worse than the the person who was carrying the same slide deck that they've used for the last 15 years of their career. And you're like, that that's not being a marketer. That's just, you're, you're just sort of, you're trying to coast off of previous reputations. You're only as good as your last campaign. So, so true. It's like, it, it's so important to know that too, because like, even, you know, like a year or two ago, like things have changed and like you share, you share so many great ideas on LinkedIn and things that like, I, I, I don't know the answers at all, but like things that like, just make me think like, wow, like I didn't even think of that. Cause I'm not, you know, a demand gen marketer. I came up as a failed marketer in ABM and like, that's what I know. And like, yeah, I've worked with demand gen, but like you, you, you open up my, my mind to ideas that like, I want to work with our team to like implement. And so I'm curious, how does sharing ideas on LinkedIn help you with your current role and kind of moving forward? Like how important is it to have you know yourself even your team kind of share ideas on, on linkedin i think it's i think firstly it helps you articulate your own idea because once you, you like you have this like noodling thought in your head where you're saying something like i don't know gated content is stupid all right and then you start writing it and then you start going well actually there's a nuance to that and then you start to figure out like okay so you start it helps you shape your own ideas because you have to present them to people you don't know who are not on your team and don't have to say yes to you <laughs> so you want so you're, you're opening yourself up to being challenged and and that's good that's a that's an important humility to try and get for yourself but i think it also it's you know it's become a bit of a muscle at this stage where i'm you know like you've written about this where you know, you know, you don't plan out what you're going to write. And I found similar, I found that over the last couple of years, like now the, the distance between the idea that's in my head to like, I should write about that is now much, much shorter. And so like, it kind of comes out now where you, you actually end up becoming more observant because now you're starting to kind of like, that's actually a thing. And I think it, it, it all, I always think of like stand-up comedians where like, it's a learned skill to find a really tiny thing and expand it out into a story. And I think that's what I'm trying to do. And I think it helps, it helps your team as well if they're thinking the same way, where look at all of the ways that you do things and be able to stand back from it and go, should I be doing it? Does it work? Who told me to do it this way? Does anyone else do this this way? What other ways could there be to do this? And I think it's a really good muscle to be able to step back from your world and look at it objectively. Yeah, I, I love that. Absolutely. So I know we're coming up on time and I got a couple of questions left for you. So just to kind of like wrap things up, you know, what's the best way? A lot of people that listen to this show are more junior marketers, probably like manager level, director level. They have aspirations to get to, you know, seniority at some point. What's the best way for a rookie marketer or someone earlier on in their career to get started posting on LinkedIn or, or elsewhere online? I've told people on my team this exact thing, which is you genuinely have expertise that is worth sharing. If you are doing the job, if you are hired in a role and you have not been fired from it, you have to be good at your job to some degree. But you're also like, it's important to think about like, why am I sharing it and what is the point of it? 
And too many people try and share things that they think will get viral. And that's not the right strategy. Like if you're looking for like what's topical, what's hot, what's a button issue, what you should be thinking about is who would learn from this? Who doesn't know the answer to this? Now, if you're one year into your job, well, someone who is just started at their job can learn from the things you learned over the last year. If you're 10 years in, then everyone who's behind you can learn on that. And so I think it's, firstly, it's just recognizing that everyone genuinely has expertise. It doesn't have to be, I am the foremost expert at what I do in my job. It can be, here's what I learned about my job over the last X amount of time that has made me better at it. Like people try and go very broad and they want to say like controversial things like ABM is dumb and it doesn't work. It might be true in some, but it, it doesn't mean you have to go that big. What you can say is ABM is a strategy we always have been doing but platforms are the things that have actually become what we think of as ABM in reality is just B2B marketing. Like you, once you start to like break down your argument, you're not trying to make grandiose statements. You're trying to say, what about it? Do I disagree with have learned otherwise? What have I tested that didn't work? And when you start writing about that, then you start to realize that like, there's a big difference between getting lots and lots of likes on LinkedIn and adding value to your personal brand. If you haven't left people with the impression that, well, you, well, okay. I mean, here's the real question. What are you trying to achieve with your personal brand? Most of us want to not have to interview for a job ever again. Therefore, it is your resume. It is the thing that you're leaving people showing, I know what I'm doing. I have opinions on how to do it. I am innovative. I am informed. I am intelligent. So write about your job and about the things about it that you actually know, and the rest will take care of itself. So, so well said. So last question for you, what are some, what are some goals or like, what can we expect to see more of you in, in 2022, you know, especially around like LinkedIn and things like that? Do you have any kind of goals around it or? I do. And I think I'm, I'm trying to go down the more diversified route. You've said this, like I, it, LinkedIn is not the only place that you have to exist. I think you have to have, you treat yourself like you're a company brand, like be where your audience is. There are conversations happening on LinkedIn, on Twitter that I'm reading, but I'm not taking part in. I need to do a better job of that. I know I need to do a better job of connecting my opinions to my face. And I know I need to find videos. I want to be on more podcasts. I want to have more interactions. I think I'm, while I am, all in on remote i also miss having interactions with people that are real and you used to have those at events used to have those at meetups and like things like this like we've never actually spoken and yet it feels like we have because of how many times we've talked to each other and so my goal is to try and bridge those gaps firstly just because i need to build my own brand but secondly i actually want to really genuinely create those connections with people that's, it's amazing. I, I'm completely with you. And so Liam, where can people go to connect with you? Like what if people want to learn more about Notarize, plug anything that you want to plug here, feel free. Sure. Well, feel free to follow me on LinkedIn. Please engage in the conversation. I'm always here for a chat. Big shout out to Pavilion. I'm just a big fan of it. It's been one of the, the best communities I think I've ever joined. Notarize is a lot of exciting things happening. There are some brand new things that will be coming up in the next few weeks. So watch this space. I will be shouting them from my LinkedIn podium. But uh, yeah, I mean, let, let's chat on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, Liam, thank you so much for joining me today. It was an absolute pleasure getting to spend time and actually getting to know you even more. So <laughs> I feel the very same. It was a pleasure. Awesome. 
Thank you for listening to Rep Your Brand. Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And if you learned something new today, it'd be great if you left us a review. We'll catch you next time.